This is episode number 169 with data science thought leader, Tari Singh. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And today I've got a very special, very exciting guest, Tari Singh, who is a founder, a CEO, an AI researcher, a data science executive, a philanthropist, a speaker, and just a very, very nice person who gives back so much, so, so much back to the data science community, who educates, who helps people. And I was very honored, very grateful to have Terry on the show today. We had a lovely conversation and we just let it go where it went and we had no idea what was going to come out of it. We talked about things like philanthropy, we talked about data science education, helping people out, where the world is going in terms of getting um, third world countries on the tech creator and helping people in less privileged societies get up to speed with data science and what contributions we as individuals can make towards those causes. We also talked about Jeffrey Hinton's recent capsule network and capsule theory. So if you're interested in that, then this podcast is for you. We also talked about uh, the research that Tari himself is doing through his research uh, for the research arm of his business. We talked about advising. Uh, executives and enterprises on data science and how all of those components come together. We also talked about uh, Tari's recent uh, major uh, infographic hit that was very popular, that is very popular on LinkedIn and he'll actually walk us through it. It's called Climbing the Hill of Deep Learning but it's actually not just about deep learning, it's about the whole process of building your career in data science and exploring different opportunities and those different, those five different plateaus at which you can build your career. So you'll get Tari's advice straight from uh, himself, from uh, his experience and from his um, expertise in working with thousands of uh, data science students and data science professionals in person. So there we go. That's what today's podcast is all about. A very a lovely conversation, exciting journey. Can't wait for you to join us. Let's dive straight into it. Without further ado, I bring to you Tari Singh, a data science thought leader. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I've got a very exciting guest with me on the show, Tari Singh. Welcome, Tari. How are you today? Well, thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. It's uh, uh, it's great weather here in Amsterdam, and and I'm super excited to be part of your podcast show. Thank you once again uh, for the work that you have been doing tirelessly in the last couple of years for data scientists. Uh, I think we all know who you are, uh, <laughs> my, and I I'm very thankful uh, and grateful to be part of this uh, this podcast. Thank you. And say, same here. I've uh, uh, just recently, it's been interesting how your name has been popping up, Tari, Tari, Tari. And uh, I am also a very big fan of all the contributions you've given to the world of data science. You've uh, the, all the wonderful materials you've created, all the advice and um, just insights that you've shared back to the community. So very excited about this chat. As we discussed at the start, we don't have any predefined agenda that we want to talk about, like plan how we're going to go through this, just let it flow and see where it takes us, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we are all in the same field. Um, data science is expanding actually in all directions. And, and I think in the similar way, the conversation will also lead to our intuitions, which I hope the audience will be able to enjoy as well. So let's keep it free flow, yes. F sounds fantastic. 
Um, all right, well, let's maybe start with um, your company. So you're the CEO and AI researcher at deepkafa.ai, and I'm happy I pronounced that correctly for the first time, as you said. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, you're one of the very few people who has no problem at all in pronouncing. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. All right. Tell us a little bit about Deepkafa. What is what is the company all about? Cool. So, okay, uh, the, back, uh, I've been in this industry for like 25 odd years. Um, about a year and a half back, and almost nearly two years back, I decided that I did not want to be part of, you know, a consulting world in which I, I, I sort of pretended that I knew what I told my customers. And I just needed to take a break to get deeper into deep learning. I mean, being very honest here. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason why is not taking a jab at the, the profession that I've been previously in. It's just a field that is expanding dramatically in, in, in giving back to sort of what you guys have been doing. You, you, you know, your podcast series uh, and your educational series and Udemy have been very educational, but they also expo uh, opened up a huge new world of data science mm. now. When I look back uh, about a, two, almost two years ago, I said, okay, let's stop and let's go deeper into it. Mm -hmm. I had already established two companies in the past. My mm -hmm. first startup was uh, a management consulting startup in which we wanted to sort of break the bank and do some amazing things. Mm -hmm. My second startup was in NLP, social analytics, back in 2012. So I was already playing around with this, but didn't sort of realize that I needed to explore myself and explain to the world myself. Mm -hmm. So. I traveled around the world last year, in the beginning of the last year. Mm -hmm. I met some global world leaders, uh, you know, who've been running some billion dollar companies, tech companies, and also met uh, and also interacted with people in Montreal, in Toronto, and also, you know, OpenAI kind of. We uh, all know who you're talking about in Montreal and Toronto at University of Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey yeah, Hinton so, so, and... Yeah. Uh, um, and company, <laughs> that whole. So, yeah, so just kind of disclaimer. I mean, you know, just so these are the kind of interesting conversations we've been having. For example, Jeff Hinton's uh, paper, which they released in Capsule. So, so many conversations, some conversations are very intense, internal, mm -hmm. but uh, also industry leaders, uh, you know, guys who've been running big companies, internet companies in, in China and also here in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, what I realized was that um, I think there's, there was two things I realized. One was that there was a huge shortage of uh, engineers, mm -hmm. and I foresaw a huge shortage of engineers. Mm -hmm. um, we were obviously aware of this trend that Google, Facebook, and all these other companies were uh, and are constantly getting the best talent from Europe and all over the world, you know, all the masters and PhD students uh, in different areas in healthcare or bioinformatics, they are all moving into these big companies. It's leading to a huge problem in the industry. I knew this because I come from the industry. I've been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. and, and the second thing which I realized when I was traveling and making these travels around the world, I was giving speeches and conferences and, you know, keynoting that there is talent available, but it's not being connected to the industry. So well, what's going wrong? Mm. And and I th I decided that I would create a kind of a silk route. Uh, I'm calling it an AI silk route. That's also part of my pitch to the investors. Um, that I I will I will work with these people. Uh, I will start giving workshops and bring these people to the industry because the industry leaders constantly ask me. That hey Terry, you know we want to set up an AI lab. We want to set up, do this, do that. How can I do this? Mm -hmm. It's very hard to get the right talent to get started. Mm -hmm. So by the end of last year, I was already getting some offers from uh, from some a chairman of a large, so let's say twenty five plus billion dollar company. He reached out. Wow! And I started this project, and then I realized, uh, oh God, I mean I don't have an entity. Uh, I, I was uh, I was incubating this idea. Mm -hmm. So we incorporated the firm, uh, calling it Deep Kafa, Deep for you know deep learning. And when I say deep learning, I it's uh, you know deep learning as you know is deep reading and deep understanding. I didn't sort of go into this technology concept, uh, which is so popular right now. Mm -hmm. And Kafa is more about harmony. So how do you bring these two together in a harmonious way, mm -hmm. so the world can learn together? 
Uh, well, long story short, since January, where we incorporated uh, until now, I decided to, I said, okay, so I am starting a company. Why not do it the way I always wanted to do it since I was a kid? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, I wanted to learn and play. So okay. I said, okay, uh, then I'll set up a research arm. Uh, I wanted to continue to stay in touch with the reality, which is the business world out there, because these are the guys who need AI people right now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, we cannot just keep promising our people, our young engineers, that there's a place for you in Google or Facebook, because you know these companies cannot continue to keep taking hundreds of thousands of people. You know, they yeah. they also have a sort of a stop sign somewhere <laughs> saying, okay, no more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I said, okay, uh, since I have worked with enterprises and advised chief executive of large companies for quite a while, I said, okay, so that this is a nice conversation I can have with them. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to sort of set up an enterprise advisory for AI as one uh, business unit. The other is research. And the third, which is far more uh, sort of I, appeals to me, you know, as a human is is to really do it uh, selflessly. How can I do this uh, from philanthropy perspective? Mm-hmm. Because there are many people, smart people, who don't have money. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are very bright people, but just kids even, you know, young kids, 12, 13-year-olds who, who are planning a future, who read a lot of books but somehow don't have funds. Um, there I, I sort of also reached out and I was also uh, approached by companies like Think IT in Tunisia, amazing uh, group of people there. Uh, a company called Recoded, who, which is a humanitarian firm working, you know, with Iraq and Syria and in, in, in Turkey. Uh, so I started traveling, going to these places to, together with them. Obviously, these were, you know, our partnerships, and also, you know, we had full advice and guidance from United Nations. It's still going on. Um, so this way, it was giving me very, a lot of satisfaction to do my job because normally happiness is a difficult sort of thing when you start uh, on your mission and you have to deal with the hard cold world, which is either enterprise. And so this way, it gives me energy, but also keeps helping me bring more and more people into this world, which is great because that's that's the mission we have, right? You also have the same. Mm-hmm. How do we people and more people? So we create these. It's almost like saying, you know, you go in front of this big castle. And you say, okay, so, you know, hey, Big Castle, you advised that this AI is going to be shaping the new industry. And here I have uh, a few million people standing with me and we want to enter and we want to explore and we want to make it much bigger. So that's the way it feels. Uh, I'm not the only one, fortunately. You know, you guys are also in this game and it only helps us expand this ecosystem more and more. So enterprise advisor to bring these guys, uh, you know, some advice and get them to hire smart people. Research is we are writing break, breakthrough research to, you know, to write new activation functions, to improve capsule theory, you know, into much more detail. I can explain maybe later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are publishing papers that are going to improve the deep learning ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, literally from algorithm perspective. And third is philanthropy, which is, you know, I, my heart totally warms up. Every time I have this mission, I have to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, let's do it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, the, let's say, kind of in a nutshell what Deep Kafa uh, intends to do. Fantastic. That's, that's so interesting. Like, I'm listening to your story and you broke it down into these three components. And I'm actually seeing myself so much in that. So... We, um, so you, you mentioned enterprise advisor to help companies um, mm-hmm. get this talent, get these talented people on board, um, research arm um, to mm-hmm. improve the ecosystem and the philanthropy because that's, that's ultimately the mission, that's what gives you fulfillment. For me, so similar, I'm, I'm actually so surprised. We started with this um, philanthropy component, like I can't call it, I'm not going to go out there and say I'm doing this all just for philanthropy reasons. And of course, it's a business, it's... Um, it mm-hmm. has to grow. It has, you know, uh, people that work in it. But at the same time, if you look at our courses, like you can get like people studying, learning can get these courses so at such low prices that um, that's why we have hundreds of thousands. Like we just crossed half a million students. And that is, you know, stands to show that people really do want to grow and expand into this area. So that I, I would yeah. say that component was like my, our starting one. And then, funnily enough, the research arm and enterprise advisor, we just launched two new businesses. One uh, is um, a research business uh, called 
Blue Life AI, where we do research on uh, new algorithms in artificial intelligence to help uh, also expand the space and uh, empower businesses Amazing. to do more. And the other one, uh, data-driven executives, is to help executives understand better how to uh, become data-driven and build these different companies. So also enterprise advice is like uh, your three points. I, I just <laughs> checked them up as well. So interesting. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I think uh, that's what I mean. I mean, the more uh, kind of, you know, uh, enterprises and, and firms uh, like yourselves, the more of these are in the industry, the better. I think it's 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 really great because uh, you know we need to go to Africa where you are. <laughs> uh, I've been getting a lot of requests already from Uganda. I've been I've done some a project in Uganda a few years ago. About, yeah. That was ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I think Africa is a huge continent where you know we can have hundreds of thousands of people trained, maybe millions. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know we need more guys uh, and more uh, sort of outfits like yourselves. Uh, and and sort of so we can create this ecosystem and make it much bigger. So amazing! I'm really happy to hear that you're you're doing this as well. Amazing! Thank you, thank you. And just on that point, because listeners might be a little bit confused, I I am in Africa. I'm just here on an island in Comoros. But to your point, um, it's like it's a very uh, far away place from everything, and it's kind of like in the middle. Um, of of the ocean and there's uh there's a lot of poverty it's very it's a very poor place mm -hmm. and it's like it's like one of those places that uh, it only exists because of a certain industry in this case it's chanel number no. five that they export this plant called the lang lang and mm -hmm. but amidst all this um poverty like today morning i went jogging on the beach and i saw one of uh, the local kids or maybe um uh, maybe my age, so I wouldn't say kids, like uh, may, like mm -hmm. young adults. And he was also jogging, and he had a phone, right, like an iPhone, and like he was you know, listening to music. So th even though it's there's so much poverty, they have access to internet, right? The world is so different to what it was 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Yeah, they yeah. have this access, and by empowering people with online education, with online sharing, online knowledge, and these things, you can really change their lives drastically. Uh, and uh, you know, like it just gives give them a little bit of an like an ins inspiration, and they will embrace it, and they will soak up Absolutely. all this knowledge and change their lives. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I can just add one thing to it. I was interviewed, I think, two years ago, or, or was it three years ago, mm. by uh, a journalist who who used to work for Al Jazeera. Uh, back then, and he was uh, looking for a story, uh, and and uh, so he we had this conversation. It was published. Uh, it was uh, by a startup, a French startup. I forgot the name. It uh, was like a news aggregator mm -hmm. kind of a startup in which they aggregate news and make some interesting stories out of it. But uh, what the, my so he asked me, so what do you mean uh, about technology to get pervasive? Um, and I gave a sort of from, from policy and from migration perspective, uh, you know, which I still very strongly believe in. Uh, I think the problem that we are having today in Europe is it's, it's a, a, a sort of essentially a crisis for European Union that you have boats sort of floating all over the place and, you know, Italy doesn't want it. And, and Spain, for example, yesterday you had this problem with hundreds of young people. I look at that boat and I'm seeing those young men struggling. These are like, I don't know, 15 to 25 mm. uh, sort of young African men and kids. Uh, you know, no one in this world, Carol, wants to sit in a boat and, and go to some country which is strange, no matter how wealthy it looks. And, and eventually end up on streets or sort of, you know, never be able to get that job which you actually really deserve. Yeah. I spent four years in Uganda doing a project through Dutch ministry. Uh, I don't talk much about it, but it's, I'm very proud of that project which I did uh, to bring awareness but also spread technology. Uh, I believe that, you know, if we start bringing technology where people can start building uh, businesses and start doing things, you know, they would be so great. They would set up their own economical sort of, you know, their economical reality is going to change dramatically. 
they were not going to look at those boats and make those horrible and dangerous sort of passes to come to Europe, uh, you know. So I think the, it's, it's a win-win situation if you bring deep learning and artificial intelligence in its own beautiful way to other parts of Africa. For instance, Kenya, mm -hmm. Uganda, and even Rwanda mm -hmm. is, is really improving. Uh, as you know, as may, you may have heard yesterday, day before yesterday, the reason why they announced that they want to sponsor Arsenal Football Club uh, with with from with their nation is because they say we want to get rid of this you know the 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 money that we get from uh, all these other richer countries because it's it's a stigma wow. you know all these you know countries even from Netherlands it's like forty five million or something or maybe more that goes into Rwanda. So these guys are saying we don't want your money. I want to bring build my own nation. Yeah, I think. So, I mean, you know, from a policy perspective, uh, it's great to give people tools and techniques. And, and I think Africa is going to be the huge, huge continent the world should be looking at, really, that, that, from you know, expanding this knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And, and have you heard of uh, uh, Peter Diamandis' X Prize for Education, the, the one for Africa? Um, no, I have not. I do. We are working with Think IT, and I know Obama, <clears throat> uh, Barack Obama, the 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 the, the president, uh, U.S. president. He's launching. He's also launching an fund for Africa, mm -hmm. and we are in conversations with uh, with the founders of the CEO of uh, Think IT. These are amazing people. Mm -hmm. So there are some conversations going on. Uh, uh, to, to start that, but Peter Diamandis, I know he he's invested in in in, in a company of, uh, of 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 gentlemen I know in Boston, mm -hmm. but I haven't heard of this initiative. No. So th this one is very similar to what you're describing. So uh, there's a prize. I think it's maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe up to a million. I'm not sure exact amount, but it's about uh, or, or maybe it's actually already finished because last time I checked on this one was about a year ago. But anyway, it's about mm. creating an application for iPads where if uh, so it's in such a way that they that anybody can pick up this iPad and learn uh, basic schooling things like mathematics or English um, or I don't know like uh, geometry and things like that just without any guidance and so basically the plan is as soon as that app is developed and you know tested and it's verified what they they're planning to do is like to drop several dozens thousands or hundreds of thousands of these ipads throughout africa and just like leave them in different places so any child can mm. pick it up and just like by clicking without any guidance without understanding the language can actually learn new stuff right how cool is that yeah <clears throat> i remember in 2006 <clears throat> when i started this project in uganda we there was also an initiative uh, called OLPC or One Laptop Per Child. I'm mm -hmm. sure you've heard of it as well. No, actually, no, uh, I haven't heard. Of it. No, so it was. I I know I carried this as well. In fact, I used to bring it also to Europe for you know conferences here back then. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in a way it's similar. It's interesting actually. The thing is, these things need to uh, start rolling. So that is one. What I think I would always kind of from my experience, I can give a word of caution is. It is people like yourselves and myself and others who need to go there and give and bring this education in the classical way. Mm -hmm. You should not forget that, you know, in European or other modern economies, young people can sit behind a computer and learn. Yes. Uh, while in Africa, but also other Asian, and I believe you're from uh, Australia, right? Yes. So, so, you know, in Asian cultures, people like to sit together and understand it from a community perspective and also physical and a classical perspective. Sort of, you know, someone is standing and teaching me. Uh, I think culturally, anyways, but I think we have to take some bold steps to to set things up and maybe work with governments if if necessary. And that's what we are exploring now mm -hmm. uh, in Africa from from you know from a country sort of uh, uh, governmental perspective to to bring it in a more sort of a holistic way and expanding it in a way that people not only listen about it mm -hmm. but they sync it and they they can then expanded mm -hmm. and I think that is needed uh, I realized in those four years I spent in Uganda you know bringing in technology starting prizes has uh, a spiking effect I'm not like a neural spiking <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's like it's it's interesting when it's there 
uh, but the minute it's gone, people go back doing the same things mm. which they were doing. So mm. that's the danger we should be careful about. Gotcha. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for that uh, discussion. Um, I'm sure there's there's lots that we can all do in that space. But now mm. let's let's move back a little bit uh, and talk about um, deep learning and some of the recent developments in that space. Specifically, I think uh, a good place to start would be capsule networks. So I don't know much about capsule theory, which Jeffrey Hinton released recently. Um, I know there's this one Medium blog post, which is which is uh, pretty popular on that space. Could you give us like an overview? What is capsule theory and how is it different to traditional deep learning? Cool. Um, so capsule definitely is a hope uh, for many researchers, you know, Jeffrey Hinton, in fact, wrote a paper back in 1981 mm -hmm. uh, in which, in, few, in fact, a few wordings we see from Capsule's paper. Uh, 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 there are some quite similarities <clears throat> with what Sarah, uh, Sarah Sabor, one of the authors, has written about it. So first of all, it's not really that new, the whole concept of poles, rotation, and you know, basically trying to understand with sparse or limited data mm -hmm. uh, about uh, us in, in a, let's say, in a certain manifold space. Meaning, you know, if I look at Carol from side, uh, I, you know, I just see part of his nose or eye or things like that, then I, I understand that it's Carol. I don't need to I don't need, yeah. you know, this uh, MS Coco huge data set to, to do transfer learning to, to figure out its Carol. Yeah. Now, because I, uh, the rotation of your head and even the back of your head, I can very quickly say, I think it's Carol. Yeah. Um, so I think this a, is what we are trying. AI mm -hmm. can't do that at this stage, right? Deep learning no. can't look at the back yeah. of somebody's head and say it's Carol. Exactly. So it's almost like you have this maybe year and a half little old little kid, mm. uh, uh, that kind of sort of cognitive capability we have helped AI achieve, but it's not moved beyond that one and a half year old kid's cognitive capability, uh, who's maybe a little bit drunk and not being able to see things <laughs> once, you know, things look different or tilted. Yeah. So for yeah. example, if there is a tilt, if there is a pose and change of rotation, texture, warmth, and different things that are, that, that are attributes to who we are, mm -hmm. Uh, and we put the three dimension in, into it, uh, you know, so from the three dimensional perspective and then also start adding uh, different, uh, let's say, attributes to the scene in which I see, for example, Carol. Yeah. Um, then I should still be able to make uh, sort of, for example, you're in Africa right now. There might be a gazelle running on top, flying on top of your head. <laughs> And as a human, even as someone who has not seen that uh, data, for example, this is the new data that has yeah. actually been created in my brain, I, I'm able to make full sense out of it. Yeah. So capsule theory, basically what it tries to do is it tries to, uh, it's trying to mimic more in a way in which how neuroscientists have uh, tried to understand how the neural uh, sort of uh, our neurons are firing inside the brains, how they are grouping together. Yeah. So, so the this whole idea of sort of routing by uh, agreement is is more about sort of that's the algorithm part of the algorithm, which tells the the network that okay, so we agree as a group of neurons that this is what it is, irrespective of everything else that I see around Carol's environment, which is strange. Yeah, he's this huge, weird marshland. Um, uh, it's not a hack; uh, it's real because I know he's there. And then this funny gazelle, which is like two meters in the air, yeah. it's something which I can correlate to still make sense and say, "Well, it looks strange, but we agree." And then the neurons basically are—you know—you take those neurons and you pass it in the epic, yeah. and eventually try to try to make uh, more sense out of it. Having said that, I think this is the beginning of. Uh, uh, what AI should become as we move forward, improving this network. It's very relatively new. Uh, it takes about two years, uh, you know, if you look at the experience with the convolution neural network also, mm -hmm. uh, before the accuracies are improving and other, let's say, improvements are being brought to the network, which we are working on as well. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy to share with you in brief because we haven't published those papers yet, mm -hmm. but we are trying to bring more automated and more intelligent sort of algorithms into the, the network, mm -hmm. into the neural network uh, e uh, ecosystem.
But all in all, basically, it means is trying to understand from three-dimensional, trying to hopefully, with as limited data as possible, to make approximations, which essentially, you know, where, as you've seen, you've heard of the pixel attack and all those things with convolution neural network. So, you know, we're hopefully we can move into a more intelligent and more human-like uh, neural network. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and please do, I'd love to hear, please do share, I'd love to hear some of the, uh, whatever you can, some of those uh, research papers that you're working on. Is What's the most exciting uh, thing that, that's happening right now for you? So I so the so right now we're writing three or four papers. One of the papers, which uh, actually we released two papers. So so my goal is through our research arm. I have a head of research. Uh, she's a neuroscientist. Uh, she's completing a PhD here in Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, so she we just published a paper in uh, ICSE. It's called ICSI, 40th sort of software engineering conference in in Gothenburg in mm -hmm. in Sweden. Mm -hmm. uh, so Gothenburg. we presented our paper. Gothenburg Gotham. sounds like Batman, right? <laughs> Did, <laughs> yeah. Didn't know it that does. was the thing. All right, sorry. Yeah, you presented. It does indeed. So we presented our paper on NeuroDL. So we're calling it a NeuroDL, uh, meaning trying to use as much of neuroscience, you know, data collection, which passes through from our retina to our neocortex. What we're trying to explain is that there's a lot of data uh, and a lot of uh, data manipulation that happens in between these two junctions, meaning mm -hmm. your retina mm -hmm. and the back of your head. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then how can we use this data uh, to, to basically start maybe creating new different algorithms, for example, back propagation probably is still rather immature, however, mm -hmm great it is in making approximations today it's still not the realistic way of how we uh, let's say deduce information mm -hmm. about the world so uh, so there what we are writing is we are improving a squashing function which is the activation function which uh, capsule networks has mm -hmm. uh, we are calling it an nf squash so we are trying to in uh, sort of introduce a second order norm to it and and uh, it's we are still right now testing vigorously in mm -hmm. our on our servers the second which we are adding which may not necessarily have anything to do with capsule but obviously we want to include it into the capsule framework is uh, trying to bring kind of a deep switch. We are calling it a deep switch internally right now. Where what it means is that we want and we should be able to switch across various optimizers that are there mm -hmm. um, while you are running your network. So you don't have to babysit 10 different networks with 10 different sort of, let's say, models. And you can just kind of, you know, have it switch uh, based on certain parameters and certain sort of sets of uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. So that is one, and then we're trying to combine also other simple sort of, oh, well, it's very interesting how uh, my researchers are setting it up right now. Mm -hmm. For example, even learning rate kind of, you know, hyperparameters, which essentially we, we either just run our network and try to train it for weeks. Uh, but right now we are saying, hey, hang on, let's kind of, and I assume, you know, so this whole sort of learning rate be more adaptive, make it more auto-learn while it's running in the network and make it more interesting. And and then there is obviously in capsules, we have already done some research in applying manifold learning and unsupervised learning. Mm -hmm. And right now we are currently uh, experimenting heavily on PGM, so probability graph models. So we are basically trying to force this whole unsupervised learning, as I just explained, you know, Carol in this strange, funny grassland and gazelle flying on his head, yep. over his head. In fact, I had a picture also in on our research paper, Neuroscience, uh, NeuroDL, yeah. in which uh, there is this car flying in a jungle. Uh, <laughs> very, very weird. Yeah. So it's there in that illustration. Um, and that paper should be going into archive very soon. Yeah. Um, so... So there, those are the kind of papers we're writing, and and we keep talking to each other because, as you know, you know, writing research is, is sounds interesting from far, but there's a lot of research that fails as well. Mm -hmm. So you know, we have to you know sort of accept that and move on and keep trying new models. So there are like four or five papers we are writing. Mm -hmm. uh, we've already, for example, one of my researchers has written a paper on on a function which uh, or, or an activation function which improves on ReLU. In fact, is better than ReLU. Mm -hmm. So that has already been published. It's on archive. That's so, so cool. This, so research is really interesting. You know, it's, yeah. it's like kids coming together and we start, start playing Lego with yeah. each other. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And 
all of those sound like very interesting and uh, pushing the envelope type of undertaking. So excited to see what comes out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I but I wanted to like move a bit to to the side here and um, talk a little bit about mm. more for for our listeners who are just getting into the space of deep learning. Uh, so you have this wonderful, fantastic infographic which you shared. Uh, at least I've seen it on LinkedIn, probably other places. It's gotten tons of comments, tons of likes, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure many people have been um, impacted by it. It's how should I start in deep learning and artificial intelligence? It's got five main steps. I'm looking at it right now, and we'll share it in the show notes. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't mind, could you walk us through these five main steps and maybe give us your comments so that somebody who's a bit lost in the world of deep learning but wants to get into it uh, will have a very clear pathway? Yeah. So basically, I called it hill climbing, and this was part of uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, this was a result of the workshops and the training that I've been giving to enterprises and groups. Hundreds, I think I've trained already eight and a half to, I think it's prob probably already 9,000 people. Oh, and these are all classical. It's not online. You know, yeah. I go to places. Yeah. That's that's so, that's insane. That like where do yeah, you that's that's a huge number actually. If I look back after it's almost a year now. In fact, it is a year. In June, I really started doing this uh -huh. last year. So I've already touched. I think nearly it's almost close to nine thousand people. Wow. Uh, so they these were like in house people were asking. So how do I do this? So I started sketching it and I sketched it for over a few months. Yeah, and because it was also my own journey, I said, "How can you just throw information in people's face and expect them to learn?" It's very hard mm -hmm. for a lot of people. You know, if you have it's, so, the couple of basic things is that if you have intuitions in physics and mathematics, I studied physics first by university and then nautical astronomy. So basically, I I already was very curious about this world as a physicist and. You know, I mean, as an astronomer, it's like thinking, okay, you know, the universe, the world. So basically, very observant and, and at least very curious. Observant, mm -hmm. I don't know if I was observant enough <laughs> as, <laughs> as a young guy to have other things to do, you know, when you're having fun. Yeah. But still observing. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, so I, so, but not everybody is coming from that background. Uh, people may have business uh, co commerce background, people may have some other intuitions which uh, do not help them see the light. So then I started sketching it, and the first, which are called, they, I called it plateaus, or as in if you climb a hill, you have plateaus, almost yeah. like climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. And so the first plateau is the fundamentals. Uh, so I started advising, collecting information and data, and also easy to understand stuff. For example, there's a beautiful book written uh, by a gentleman, and I just forget his name, but he's written two beautiful books on physics and mathematics, uh, and he calls his uh, No Bullshit linear algebra or something like that mm -hmm. and also on physics <clears throat> so i started giving people those kind of books that help people sort of uh, seamlessly climb into that sort of plateau without being intimidated because you know back in high school you have you, you, it's all your uh, a priori as in you have information uh, and and you're just thinking oh my god so i don't think i can ever do it mm -hmm. uh, because uh, i was i sucked at back in in high school um, so that is a difficult step. Uh, then I tell people, okay, don't worry too much about it. You're in plateau one. The plateau two is trying to understand, you know, visualization skills. So you're not maybe an analytics person. You don't feel like it. You don't think you can write an algorithm and show it. Don't worry about it right now. Mm -hmm. Let's start visualizing. You're a visual person. So the plateau two, I started calling a visualization. And then you give them introduction into all these visualization libraries and slowly in a very seamless and easy to understand way, we start writing code together. Um, so when people get comfortable, I said, go back to Plateau 1 uh, and try to see what you understood there and make some changes, come back to Plateau 2, which is your visualization thing. And then, you know, let's move on to the third one. And machine learning becomes the third plateau. And there, you know, you, you have a ton of those series yourself, which you guys created. So mm -hmm. I point those, I point to several other areas. I said, look at, look there, look there, look there, and make a combination which suits the best and try to keep your learning curve measured. Be honest with yourself. If you don't understand, you know, go back and read it. If you don't understand, go back to the plateau two, plateau one, come back again. So it's, it's almost like going back and forth. And then once you master uh, parts of, deep le of machine learning, you don't have to do everything. So people just start thinking, I have to boil this whole ocean. 
Um, so then I said, okay, just do parts of it. Maybe just, you know, if you're moving into unsupervised, do support vector machine, understand it, you know, how Wapnik created, you know, get the historical perspective, read why people made those things, why people wrote those things. So that give that will help you remember these things longer than if you just remember it as a formula or some kind of an algorithm. So when people go back and say, okay, yeah, this Russian guy, he created this and it happened this and he did that. And then they, they remember longer, then their intuitions start developing. And, and then when these things start happening, then I said, then you're actually ready for deep learning. Although I keep saying, if you can already jump from Plato 2 to Plato 4, which is deep learning. And what is it then? You then start showing them, explaining in, in, in sort of easy to learn, sort of a you know, very, very sort of, and going back to all intuitions, historical perspective, how, what, what is Boltzmann machines and who was uh, Ludwig Boltzmann? And, and what, what was his intuitions and what is the role of statistical mechanics and how does this, you know, uh, apply into uh, your activation functions that you're creating and, and all these things. So those perspectives start making, it's almost like a storytelling, if you will. And, and I think the, the fifth plateau is applied AI, which, you know, you need to eventually apply it because people say, okay, now I have every theory. I ran every sort of darn data set on Kaggle. <laughs> and, and and everybody's done the same so i'm still it feels as if i'm part of that network in which everybody's saying the same thing so yeah. what, what is my differentiation yeah. oh, what do i do oh, and i yeah. said okay so that's the step in which you start looking at data sets so go talk to your community and then people say well it's easy to say i said hang on yeah. it's not easy to say it's you're right it's not easy so when you are going there, when you're meeting, when you're going to hospital, you have someone who's in the hospital network. Believe me, in hospitals, even in India and 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 uh, Bhutan, where we have, we are also, I'm helping a researcher doing uh, a project there. So there, there are people who are collecting data. So all you have to do is just start going. People have data. Mm -hmm. When you start going, then you start learning this whole art of you know data collection, pre-processing, creating balanced data sets. I said, when you are starting to do that, then you really feel like you're building something. You are almost, you're almost like this guy who's building this brick sort of house and used to go brick by brick. And I said, you know, this is that journey you have to go through and then you can reach that summit uh, with applied AI. It could be in anything. It could be applying, you know, policy changes. It could be trying to change the way the world you know, income inequality, you can get data sets from, the, you know, statistical data sets from your country and, and try to start making sense out of it. And, and I think there's a whole lot of things. And then you can start applying recurrent neural network into some time series or something else. And, you know, it, it, these things start helping. Uh, there are a lot of people who came back and are, are doing some really amazing stuff, actually. So in a way, it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, those five plateaus really helps you to, to really become a master in, in an area that differentiates you from uh, uh, your other peers. And, and this differentiation is eventually the trigger or a catalyst for us, for you and I, to, to see satisfactorily and say, well, this is, the, this is the network effect which we want to achieve when we mean that this ecosystem has to expand. Mm. Because if we don't do this, I think the risk is that we will continue to train people in theory and in toy data sets, and these toys are not going to make them real men. They're, they're going to remain boys and girls. Yeah. We, go, we have to make them men and women, you know, yeah. of deep learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. That's, that's, okay, that's my opinion, I guess, uh, and yeah. a bit of experience. Yeah, very, very clear, and I definitely agree with that. Like, when I was creating the course on our programming, I remember I looked around the place and you know, did some uh, research of the existing courses, and one of the things that I noticed is that Pretty much every single course out there uses the Virginica Setosa data set. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like it's just, it's so repetitive, right? Those, those flowers and the whole, you know, Fisher, what is it called? Yeah. The Fisher Iris data, data set. Mm -hmm. And it's like, come on guys, we can do better than that. And I made it a, like one of the core values of the pro, course creation process that I look for data sets that are current, relevant, interesting, uh, from industries, real business challenges, and so on, so that people learn through, they can see that it's not just theoretical application to a data set that was discovered you know, 100 years ago, 
but it's mm. actually something that is happening now. Something you know, like I don't know, some machines are in a mining plant, and you can predict their uh, maintenance requirements. Or there's mm. there's a consulting firm that is trying to help a bank differentiate or um, do something with its customers and segment them better. And you're, mm. right, you're right. Like by putting it into perspective like that, it helps people see that it's this is not just a theoretical exercise. I can actually make an impact. I can actually help businesses, people, um, charities, friends, organizations, myself, mm. analyze mm. and understand better. And inspires people to actually look at stuff. Like, you know, you can get your own Fitbit or iPhone and measure how many steps you took and analyze mm. that. That's already something cool. Totally agree with you. I mean, make it real, make it uh, practical, and make it stick in mm. your in your head mm. because it's not going to stick. Satosas and all these, uh, you know, leaves or you know the MNIST and all these guys are not mm. going to stick in your head because it's 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 a great way to benchmark. So MNIST is a great way to benchmark yeah. if you've written a beautiful algorithm, but don't start using it as something to prove if you have to sort of do 3D lung cancer. Mm. You know, you need something different uh, if you have that and. Uh, and and I think we should we need also more uh, sort of more advanced data sets that are normalized, yep. uh, that are presented to us in a way uh, where you know you have healthcare data, agricultural data, manufacturing data. There should be some interesting data sets coming which which should help. Uh, but I think that's the next wave which we should be seeing in the next five years, yep. where you will have data sets for specific uh, all verticals mm -hmm. that will help us uh, get even better with our algorithms. So I totally agree with you. Yes. Yeah. Let, let, Terry, let's start a new business. Let's start a repository of old <laughs> data sets. <laughs> I can tell you, this is a this is a, Carol. Seriously, this is no joke. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is one of the things. Uh, so we are working on a patent as well. Yeah. Um, so my mentor actually advised me that uh, you know you need to go and and file a patent. It's and it's all about data sets. Today we are looking at data sets and people are not making sense out of it, Carol. Mm. Uh, I didn't either. I was also like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you, because you're focused on a mission, you're not paying, looking around the world. So, and and there my mentor is like, he's, he's amazing. He's almost like a second dad to me. He said, okay, hey, listen, let's take a break. Let's go to a sauna and you're not going to talk about anything. I don't want you to start <laughs> visiting all these big sequoia forest. I said, okay, so why? I said, no, 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 I want to go there. And I had a keynote there in, in San Francisco with a bunch of people, Google, LinkedIn, and all these guys. Yeah. So he says, let's go away. And we went, we spent the whole day doing nothing. Uh, and this is when the idea started coming to us. Mm. He says, you know, you have all these data sets. For example, Google is releasing all this audio and video and all that stuff. I said, this is the new economy. The new economy is going to be based on the manipulations and even extrapolations and interpolations of these data sets. Because essentially, this is what your brain does, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah. Because I translate information in front of me, which is visual, which is text, which is audio, and it constantly is transposing and interpolating, and, and then that gives me intuitions. He says, this is what the new economy has got to be. It's not just going to be in its own silo. The danger is that you will have companies like Google and Facebook, they will focus on their own silos mm -hmm. because that's where the business is. Their business, and there has to be someone who comes and starts looking at from a, from a horizontal perspective and how do you sort of create it, uh, create a sort of a cognitive layer uh, from this, this master algorithm thing, right, which Pedro Domingos wrote. Well, mm -hmm. what he meant was that how do we bring these five tribes together? But this whole idea of creating a master or a supervisory algorithm would be to essentially take advantage of mature data sets which start teaching uh, industries and verticals about their systems. Uh, and obviously you need an algorithm to run this because the algorithm is the, 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 uh, the engine. Uh, but I think data sets is, uh, you know, more people should be thinking about it. So I, when I feel that I'm alone, it, it's I either I either apply Peter Thiel's formula that if uh, there are just a few people who believe in it and everybody else disagrees, you have a great idea. Yeah, yeah. But my intuition is that I have a great idea because I'm working on a patent, which I'm thinking I'm going crazy thinking about it. Yeah. So yeah, why not? I mean, let's have a chat. I, I believe you also you're also definitely going to be meeting uh, in San Diego. That's something yeah. I spoke to your colleague. Yeah, yeah. So for our listeners, I'm very excited to announce that Tari is going to be joining us for Data Science Go 2018 in October this year in San Diego. Super pumped about it. Can't wait to meet you in person. 
Uh, how are you feeling about coming there and giving us a little bit of a um, sharing some of your insights with our audience? Amazing. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm once again very thankful and grateful for everything that happens. Um, so very happy to, so excited to meet you, Carol, uh, in person. I'm sure we'll exchange great ideas. Uh, I think it'll be a great, great show. I think I know I spoke to Bo. Bo is a very good friend of mine. He's yeah. a kind soul. And and I know it's such a successful thing. I'm very happy to sort of help you expand because thank it's you. it's our common goal. Thank you, thank you. We have very very excited. Yay! Super excited. <laughs> yeah, well, Bo definitely did uh, like uh, added a lot of value to our uh, conference last year, and uh, this time we've got 400 people coming over. So it'll be really wow, cool. yeah. huge. That's yeah. like massive, man. I mean, yeah, I know it's great. You know. Yeah. You know, the reason why I think I'll just add something to it, uh, Kirill. Yeah, sure. The reason why I think you uh, and, and even guys, you, you know, and MIT, uh, uh, guys like Andre Kapati, who's right now at Tesla, uh, all these people are, I think it's important to create this ecosystem with the community and continue to work with the community. Uh, there is a very, uh, and I'm, I stay, we stay away from all these world summits and all these, you know, cog X and this X and that X and those, you know, no offense, but, you know, there's so much air, so much hot balloons flying around. Mm. I think the real work is done when you're walking on the floor and talking with, in fact, I know every person that is the community member that walks into all the conferences that I've been, the ones which I like to go to, like yours. Mm is they're all walking around with a problem. They're asking questions. They have notes written. I want to be there. You know, I hate to go to conferences. And that's why we stopped totally. We said we don't we don't want to be near uh, the world of AI or World Summit AI, you know, where some business leaders are hanging around and <laughs> yeah. sharing presentations. So I think uh, it's this community building is probably the best thing that 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 is there in this and i hope mm. you keep doing this yeah i can't wait for you to come because we like at our event we really focus on the um what's it called like inner drive of people and like the, these personal relations like for instance or at some point like we just all stand up and like we have a dance crew and we're all dancing jumping and then after that everybody nice. needs to get like five hugs five high fives and really builds these connections between people like after literally two hours of the after the events start you can't recognize everybody's so like friendly with each other i love it i love like how everybody gets connected very quickly so that's and, and amazing point. yeah i, I think I, I wow i i really look forward to this amazing thank you so much you already got me excited <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you very much um okay well um i guess i guess we're coming close to the wrap-up it's time flies mm. this is this is amazing i just want i was mm. i had this one question while you were explaining the uh, infographic of the climbing the mounting of deep learning if you don't mind if you have a few minutes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how do you how would a person know like the the you've got these five plateaus which i think are very um descriptive so first one is statistics mathematics programming second one mm -hmm. data analysis visualization skills third is machine learning the fourth is deep learning and fifth is applied artificial intelligence so the question mm -hmm. would be how would somebody know when they are um, good with the plateau that they're on when they are confident and that they're ready to move on to the next one because sometimes I find it's very easy to be like oh okay so I, I did some you know I learned some stats programming I'm, I'm really excited about machine learning I would move on forward and they move on forward but because they lack that necessary uh, grounding in the I don't know whether it's stats or whether it's the programming part of things they can get very discouraged when they get to the plateau of machine learning because mm. it's exciting and you can apply it and, and they dabble and, and they like they get some good results but because they're kind of neglecting going back and refreshing as you said correctly like going back and like upskilling yourself in the previous plateau as well they neglect mm. that part and they feel discouraged and they feel like uh, that they, it's not for them it's not the right thing when, when mm. it's really not the case yeah, I think it's you and and you you train hundreds of thousands of people yourself, so I'm sure you must have got so many questions like these. Mm. But my personal experience is that yes, it is. Uh, it's very hard to uh, to to keep a track of all the plateaus when you're climbing the summit. So I say that you know you don't become an expert uh, if you have climbed the Mount Everest mm -hmm. uh, uh, the first time because the first time you take all the aids. 
and you're there and you come back because there's a lot of hand holding going on. There's a lot of ropes. I'm not a hill climber, by the way, but <laughs> I heard from people who have done this, uh, uh, some good friends. Yep. And then you start pushing the limits and start going without oxygen, right? Mm. Many people have done that already. It's proven that it's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it's almost like building your fitness function, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and it's 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 a kind of an auto learn function in which uh, you should intuitively be able to go back. Mm-hmm. So my my advice to people who are let's say halfway in machine learning and just thinks oh and even I have that by the way. So it's very normal. First of all, one, it's very normal. Mm-hmm. If I have to go and look back and the, at the icing, icing formula from physics and how it applies to the activation function, I have to go back and sometimes I write them down on a mm-hmm. piece of paper myself because, hey, I mean, come on, you know, 24 hours a day, if I'm sitting six or seven or t- sometimes even 12 hour flight to from Amsterdam to China, yeah, uh, I can do that. I have my <laughs> laptop. I have all those books in my <laughs> repository, yeah. all of them. So I write it down, and then it helps me. Uh, of, of course, there is a cognitive sort of capacity beyond which you know you get tired. So I would say just choose, just be selective. Don't worry about an area which you haven't explored yet. And don't have to explain to yourself that you don't understand it. That's okay. You can always come back to it later. Keep kind of uh, like almost like little flags, or like waypoints. You say, I will visit them later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and going back to the step one is probably the most important, which I realized from my experience that, you know, statistical mechanics and getting more deeper and deeper into statistical understanding needs to know how and why it is that way. Uh, and then going back into the other sort of if jumping back from plateau one to plateau four, uh, it would become easier. So sometimes you have to make big leaps uh, and sometimes you have to just step down a bit and take a look at it. Uh, the other thing which I want to say is also what I've observed with many people is uh, it's also okay to be at Plateau 2, for example. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, hey, listen, I understand what it is. I don't need to be a CNN or RNN expert. Um, actually, I'm a great at visualization. And they start exploring like 20 different types of visualization libraries. Mm-hmm. Just as an example, for example, if you are, uh, and I've worked with so many bioinformaticians and molecular biologists and cardiologists and pathologists right now, uh, you start looking at the visualization libraries. So we, all we do is, you know, the basic stuff is you show Matplotlib, you have Seaborn, you have Cufflinks, you have a couple of other stuff. Now, mm-hmm. I have started seeing that people are looking into the visualization toolkits and libraries that applied to cardiologists that were like massive big guys, you know, the VTK and Maya V, Maya Avi, mm-hmm. and and several other of those, which are so sophisticated that you know they start becoming experts in sort of visualization experts. Mm-hmm. So you're basically a data scientist with that specialization. So sometimes it's okay to also be comfortable with what you're comfortable with. Yeah. There's no need to start climbing every you don't not everybody has to do this whole sort of this pass of these five plateaus. Mm-hmm. So so choose uh, which is which really appeals to you because eventually you will shine there, believe me, because mm-hmm. you will find more things than anybody else would have found. Yeah. So there are many avenues which we uh, I'm ignoring them. Although I was I jumped into the 3D lung cancer because I was looking at I explored, explored and found more stuff, but then I left it. I hope that someone else takes it and starts saying, hey, Terry, I know you showed something to me six months ago. I improved on it and take a look what I made. So I think, uh, and I've seen one or two people do that. I was like, wow, amazing, you know. So it's it's a two-way process. It's not, you don't have to boil the whole ocean. Uh, feel comfortable to drop, it, uh, go down and pick up some more cherries from what you may have picked uh, or may not have picked. But also be comfortable and fine with where you are. If you have, if you're, if you, this is what is is what you're good at. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, don't worry too much about it. Really, it's uh, a lot of young people, you know, especially get very nervous and anxious because you know they think the the whole thing about this learning is part of my master's or my PhD, and beyond that, I will not be able to learn. I mean, I've been in this industry longer, and you you know yourself. Carol, yeah, you know we keep learning every day, so we oh, should. For sure. uh, you know, it's very hard to tell young people that you know that don't worry, it'll come later. So like, yeah, no, I want it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want everything packed into my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I say, well, then you have to wait till the algorithm, which uh, in the Matrix movie, remember the second <laughs> movie, yeah, Trinity yeah. had to 
uh, quickly learn how to run the uh, fly the helicopter. I said, great, we are still working on that algorithm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's Elon Musk with his uh, Neuralink? Yeah, yeah. For instance, yeah, yeah, that is yeah that is an interesting area as well with uh, sort of patching up the brain and and getting uh, you know literally patching it up and uh, some firmware update to get all that information in your head. Yeah, crazy, crazy uh, world. Crazy world. Yeah, well, you never know. Thank you, thank you very much for that uh, excursion. and the, the additional comments on the infographic will definitely include in the show notes. Um, we are coming to an end, running out of time. Terry, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners get in touch with you, contact you, follow you, follow your career, and uh, all these amazing things that you're doing? So yeah, thank you so much, Carol. Uh, obviously, I mean it's an honor to be with you. You're 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 one of the you know shining beacons in this oh, industry. Thank you. Uh, thank you. It is true. You. I mean, I've I've followed some of your trainings myself. I continue to sort of talk about your trainings in every class that I teach. Um, so people can you know I'm LinkedIn. I'm there uh, quite uh, quite active. Fortunately, LinkedIn's algorithms uh, the, the since they've been improved since I think July, mm -hmm. things are working very 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 well for LinkedIn and also for us. Yep. Uh, I'm on Quora quite often lately. Again, jumping actively into Quora, trying to answer questions uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think these are the two platforms. I'm also on Twitter, although I occasionally respond only to my Silicon Valley networks and all the researchers from US or Canada. Yep. But otherwise, I think LinkedIn and Quora are the great place to be, uh, but Twitter is also a place. These are the three places. Uh, Thank you. And please reach out to me. I, I personally like to talk to people, so I, you know, there's a lot of time that goes in to do that. Yeah. But Send me a note. You will always get a response. Uh, I'm not some. I'm just a normal guy. I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not some uh, sitting on a high horse, some elite researcher who works at Facebook uh, <laughs> or something. I, honestly, I mean, I'm just. You know, I just like to talk to you guys. So please, uh, let's just be normal human beings and have fun. That's learning. so cool. Deep that, learning. That's so lovely. Thank you. And I'm just gonna add to that. Uh, Terry has a blog. So Terry Singh. T A R R Y S I N G H dot com. Some interesting, very interesting uh, topics that are discussed there. And of course, uh, if you don't mind me sharing, uh, deepkafa dot AI, D E E P K A P H A dot AI. Um, some, something exciting is going on there. You've got a countdown timer. What's that all about? 18 days, 16 hours, 16 minutes, and 22 yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah. So the platform, oh my God. So the, we have the platform in which you know, we have like 150 applicants or probably a lot more. I, I know there are thousands. I looked at the landing page. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> so people want to go for research. They're applying for research and, uh, and, and philanthropy. I forgot to mention, maybe it's worthwhile mentioning. Sure, of course. We are going to be collaborating with Holt Foundation. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's H U L T, mm -hmm. and and Holt Foundation is uh, uh, Bill. Uh, so Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton are also con they contribute to to the foundation. In fact, they also you know they 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 inject cash mm -hmm. in it. Holt is is a very wealthy family, Swedish family, who also set up a Holt Business School a long time ago in the U.S. Um, so we are going to be collaborating with them, and I will be in London, I think, sometime in August uh, to to be uh, coaching and mentoring. It's a week long program, forty startups in AI. Mm. So uh, Halt is something uh, which uh, you will see more announcements coming as we try to launch a sort of a prize kind of a thing, something like you mentioned, Peter Diamandis. But I have a an idea how to do it. Uh, sort of, you know, we are calling it a deep social. So. Mm -hmm getting people more and more people into AI. Mm -hmm. So so that is a philanthropy initiative. And so there's a lot of stuff coming, Carol. There's a lot of work. I know people are really upset at me that I put so many things uh, in parallel. So everybody <laughs> has to work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we are full of energy and we'll stay healthy. So I hope uh, we can achieve the mission that, uh, that I think uh, deserves achieving, but I'm looking at you. I mean, you've done it, so I think it should be possible for me to do. <laughs> uh, I'm, and I'm looking at you, and I'm like, yeah, if you, you learn I, from each other, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I'm sure it's all gonna go well. I can't can't wait for uh, you know the timer to hit zero and for you guys to unleash the power of AI to solve world's problems and uh, bring the word so. out there. The developers are working hard for the platform. Let's hope. Uh, yeah. it, <laughs> thanks once again, Carol. Amazing. Thank you 
very much. This is the first time we've spoken, but I have followed your work for such a few number of years. Thank uh, you. Great job for, for doing this. I mean, you know, without you guys, you know, every interaction leads to some some expansion and idea and thought. Uh, thank you for this great talk. Uh, my day is now full of talking to another gentleman who's done this for so so long. It's 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 a thankful day. It's a grateful day for me. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I had a wonderful conversation. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed all the insights you shared and all the inspiration that you just you just convey with your energy. I can I can feel it from over here, even though you know we're on mm -hmm. opposite hemispheres of the world right now. Amazing. I'll talk to you soon and see you in San Diego. <laughs> see you in San Diego. So there you have it, my friends. That was Terry Singh, founder, executive, philanthropist, researcher, and as you'll probably agree with me after today's session, just a very, very nice guy who gives back so much to the data science community. And my personal favorite part of today's episode was when Terry described the three different components of his strategy when he talked about the enterprise advisor, the research arm of his business, and the philanthropy component. So when you put all those three together, it becomes pretty clear on how he has been able to make such an impact on the world and empower so many individuals in uh, becoming data scientists, becoming more data literate, becoming data advocates, and I'm sure he's going to continue this mission going forward. If you'd like to get in touch with Tari or follow him and his career, then make sure to uh, check his LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll be sharing those in the show notes at www.superdatascience.com slash 169. We also mentioned quite a few of his websites and different undertakings. Those links will also be available there. And as Terry mentioned, he'll be coming to Data Science Go 2018, October 12, 13, 14. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you can get them at www.datasciencego.com. We've still got the early bird prices available. They're increasing this week. So make sure to jump on board and you'll see there plenty of wonderful, amazing speakers, just like Terry. We've got 20 speakers coming to Data Science Go and we can't wait to see you there. Hope to see you in October. And until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>